Peace of Christ to you all. Today we start a series on, on the cross, and hence what we've been singing and the, um, uh, the pictures before us. Um, and, but you know, the, the, this uh, room is filled with, with crosses, besides the obvious one there and, and one here. There, there are crosses all over the place, and we, uh, there was a time when we'd bring like a, um, third and fourth graders in here, and, and we'd look at all the other things, and we'd ask them how many crosses there are in this room. And I see Maggie uh, up there. Maggie, how many were there? Do you remember? She said, y'all have to count them. So, and if the Lord's a you to count them now, you know, then go right ahead. Just count the crosses. But do note that even the one that's most often forgotten, that's, that's, that people don't see, is the room itself. Is in the form of a cross. And that, that so that we are, even when we gather, you know, in the cross. Um, and, uh, um, but you know, the cross is, is not today a popular symbol. You know, a, a number of folks, matter of fact, just singing what we sang, you know, singing the blood of Jesus, ugh, isn't that sort of yucky? Isn't that, that sort of gross? That, that, the cross is a form of torture, you know, it's, it's cruel, it is the, the epitome of cruel and unusual punishment, you know, and it represents, um, even like abuse of some kind. And that's not a new thing. Um, that, that's been the case since Jesus died on the cross. Um, that the cross was offensive. But, but our series is going to be on the cross. And um, the, the passage that, we, uh, that Paul speaks about in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 23, where he's clear that the cross is a non-negotiable. It may be considered by some to sort of be abusive and, and, and overly violent. It's a non-negotiable. And Paul states clearly in 1 Corinthians 1, 23, this is what I preach. If he had to summarize what he preached, it was Christ crucified. And he says even then, even in the first century, in the very beginning of the church, the cross was an offensive symbol. He says it was stumbling block to the Jews, and it was foolishness to the Greeks. But to us, it is the power and wisdom of God. And this is one of the things that we don't budge on. This this is, if maybe not, the primary hill upon which we're willing to die. We cannot... Reduce, and after we look at it, we don't want to. We don't want to reduce the full force of what happens at the cross. Even though it may be ugly, it may not fit our modern sensitivities. It didn't fit sensitivities of the first century. But it is the power of salvation. 
So today and, and throughout our series in the cross, what we're going to do, we're going to look, we're, we're, this is really going to be, this, those of you that like the Bible study kind of focus, well, we're really going to look at the passage. Well, today, that's what we're going to do. And, and throughout this, this series, what we're looking at, what are the Bible passages that, and what do they say about what happens at the cross? And that's what we're going to walk through in uh, this, this series of Lent as we prepare um, for um, Holy Week. You know, and it's, it's interesting that the, that the, the, the Bible makes the cross so central. And, and it's even in the Gospels. You know, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they, they contain the events, the recordings of what Jesus did. And in, in the Gospels, in those four books, the very beginning of the New Testament, one-third of them... A third of the Gospels are about Jesus' last week of life. So he lived 33 years, but 33% of the writing about him is about his last week. So y'all can do the math. 52 weeks a year, 33 years, one out of 33 times 52. But it takes a third of what he's written is about his last week. So it is absolutely central it is crucial. It is. I mean, the very fact that all these letters, it's the crux of the matter. It's crucial. All of those have their definition from a cross. I mean, it's central. And it is, you, you take it away, you take away what it means to be Christian. You take away what it means to be a follower of Jesus and what Jesus has done. So, um, today, we're going to look at Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 9. Um, uh, it's on page 975 in your pew Bible. We're going to look at Hebrews 9 and 10. Those of you that are note takers, that you like taking notes, um, yeah, this, might, this, this is one of those days where it's a good one to do because I'm going to throw around a couple of Old Testament passages. I'm not going to refer to them really, but if, if you're the, the type that like to get that down, then um, yeah, get your, uh, your notes. For those of you, that, this, this one's for you. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Almighty God, now, now speak to us. Open our mind, open our heart, open our soul to what you teach us in your written word. We, we want to fully digest or take to a different level the, the depth of our soul what you have done in Jesus on the cross. Teach us and speak to us. Soften our hearts. Open our minds to receive from you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, um, chapter 9, verses 1 and 10. We won't read that, but basically what the, the writer of Hebrews there, he's um, presenting to us, reminding us of the Old Testament sacrificial system. Yeah, that back in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, um, those books, it talks about the, the sacrificial system um, that was set up at the temple. You know, so the, the temple was the big building where they um, uh, worshipped, and there was the, the Holy of Holies. It was the, the place in the middle of the temple uh, where they kept the, the, the Ark of the Covenant. So it, it had like the Ten Commandments in it and things like that. And once a year, the priest, the high priest, would go into the Holy of Holies, and there he would take the blood of animals and their sacrifices and he would pour that out onto the mercy seat in order to secure God's forgiveness for his people. He would do that. They would do that every year. You know, once a year uh, they would bring that day of atonement. 
Yom Kippur. And and what's meant by atonement is that there there had, because, as as Cedric was saying, God is pure and holy and we're not. There's a separation between us. There's space between God and, and humans. And that space is called death. That, that separates us. And, and at Yom Kippur, that you take the, the, the life, the blood of the, the animals, and you, you pour it in that space in order to bring life where there is death. To bring them together. But that would last for a year. I mean, the, it, would, it was not an, an eternal sacrifice. And uh, that would form again. That separation, that, that death. And so that was necessary to happen every year. That you, you go into the Holy of Holies with the blood of goats and, and lambs and animals. And, and there you would bring about that atonement. But what the writer wants us to know is that now that system of sacrifice has now been completed by Jesus. He is now the sacrifice of all sacrifices and will remove the sin, that separation, that death. He will remove it once and for all. Verse 11 through 14. But when Christ came as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy place, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls with the sprinkling of the ashes of a heifer sanctifies those who've been defiled so that their flesh is purified, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to worship the living God? So now... See, whereas the Old Testament, there was a high priest who went in every year with the blood of goats. Now they're saying Jesus is the high priest. And on the cross, this is his priestly function of coming before Almighty God into the Holy of Holies. No longer the Holy of Holies in the temple, but the Holy of Holies in the spiritual reality of the very presence of God the Father. I mean, what, what he's going to describe to us and explain to us is how what we see, what we can see on the fleshly level, on the earthly level, now this is what is happening in the spiritual realm. In the, the realm beyond our five senses. You know, beyond what we can touch, what we can taste, what we can see, what we can hear. Beyond the, the confines of time. You know, there are 20, 30, 40, 100 different Dimensions of reality in the existence of God. And this is what is happening while Jesus is on the cross. He is carrying out the ultimate sacrifice. You can see in verse 11. You know, there was an earthly sanctuary that the earthly high priest did their work. Well, now Jesus is in a heavenly holy place, the literal holy of holies. Then they took blood of goats. Now 
It's Jesus' own blood. It is the blood of God the Son that is being shed, that is being poured. Remember, the, the blood, the life is poured into that space, into that space we call death. Well, now it's Jesus' blood that is poured into that space to bring life where there is death. And this brings eternal, verse 12, eternal redemption. The the forever plan of atonement. The once and for all. It is done. It is complete. There is nothing that can be added to it or subtracted from it. This is the forever atonement. It brings not just purification to the flesh. You see that in verse 13. The the flesh, it brings purification to the external things. It now brings, through the, the work of Jesus, brings purification to the soul, to the conscience, to the inner person. And then verse 14 Whereas the old system were dying works, works that had to be repeated. Every time that they were accomplished, they were then dying. Now He brings once and for all so that we might serve the living God forever. That's the eternal redemption, the eternal atonement that is occurring on the cross with Jesus' death. Yeah, this is this is a, goes into quite detail here. I mean, this is quite a detailed passage that goes into a, a lot. I mean, dense writing here because this is so essential to the faith of those that follow Jesus to grasp and live into this truth. What what Jesus? It's not just that that the Old Testament was like a bike with training wheels, and we took the training wheels off. And now the New Testament was riding a bike. I mean, this is a totally different way of transportation. You know? I mean, now we take the training wheels off, we threw the, the bicycle away, and we got into a space shuttle. You know, and we're, we're traveling into spiritual dimensions together. I mean, that's what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. We're moving from bicycle to a shuttle. This is the eternal, forever atonement in the spiritual realm. But then, verse 15, he, he, he addresses, well, why the blood? I mean, what is this about the blood? Now, I think, to be quite honest, it's a little bit of an aside. It's not in my notes, which is always dangerous. But I think some of the reasons that folks don't uh, get the blood is because, you know, we just don't live in an agrarian um, economy anymore. None of us live on the farm. In their day, everybody lived on the farm. Blood was just a natural thing you saw almost every day. And we don't today. Now, that, that's not biblical. That's just a little thrown, thrown in there, personal. But there is more to it than that in what the blood accomplishes. So, verse 15. Uh, hang with me through this paragraph because... We'll, uh, we'll come back to the two main things as why the blood. For this reason, he, Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance because a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions under the first covenant. Now, where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Hence, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment had been told to all the people by Moses in accordance with the law, 
He took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the scroll itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God has ordained for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Now, so you see here, he's showing how blood purifies. And he goes back to Moses and all the Old Testament things and all the, the pieces of, of worship in the Old Testament and how the, the blood purified those elements so that they could be used for God. They could be used in terms of, of worshiping God. And so now what he's saying is now this blood is now going to be poured on all of God's people, who all who are in Jesus, so that they can be instruments of worship everywhere they go which is what we've been talking about for the last six weeks. But it's at the cross that this is accomplished. So two things here about, about the blood. One, that you see here at the end, the last passage, that it is necessary for blood to bring forgiveness. It's necessary for blood to be shed to bring forgiveness. Uh, those of you taking notes, you know, Exodus 24, Leviticus 14, Numbers 19... Exodus 24, Leviticus 14, Numbers 19 are places that you, you see this occurring. And then, but the key verse is in Leviticus 17, verse 11, where we're told pointedly that life is in the blood. That blood is what makes atonement. Remember, there's, there's death is what separates humans from a holy God. That's, that's death. That's sin. The only way to conquer death is with life. And so the blood of animals in the Old Testament was poured over that death for that season in a temporary way, in an earthly way. Well, now on the cross, Jesus is in the Holy of Holies before the Father. And there his blood is poured on the death that separates God, a holy God, from his unholy people. And there the atonement is made pure and forever. It is complete. He is, there's no need to add anything to it anymore. That atonement has now conquered death, destroyed death, obliterated death. So that in Jesus Christ, it's not even an option anymore. Death no longer exists in Christ. So there's a requirement of blood because that is life. And since it's the blood of God the Son, the eternal, all-powerful one, then that blood conquers death forever, never having to be repeated. Now, we're also told here that, um, that, that blood is a sign of the covenant. 
You know, it's a, it's a seal of the covenant. Of, and, and by covenant, you know, the promises of God with His people. A covenant which, which states this is how we're going to work with each other. This is how we're, our arrangements with each other, to, to live with each other. And there was a, the first covenant uh, that we, we talked about in terms of the, the sacrifices of the Old Testament. Well, now there's a new covenant that is in Jesus Christ that has obliterated it. We no longer need the temple. We no longer need priests. We no longer need goats. They're thankful. But now, we are in Jesus, and we move from the flesh to the inner person. And His Spirit now resides with, within us. But that, that's the new covenant. Well, this, the, the blood being shed and the sacrifice that that entails is now what seals and establishes the covenant by the virtue of the sacrifice of death. In other words, it's the way of God saying, I'm all in. This way that I'm going to work with you, that I'm going to relate to you, this is the way it's going to happen. And I'm going to show you I'm not just whistling Dixie here. I'm not just talking out of the side of my mouth. I'm going to show you this is the way that I'm going to do it. And the sacrifice of death of God the Son will seal and establish that covenant forever. When I thought... um, about this and just thought about this uh, and just what that means for us as, as those that are enslaved to sin. You know, those, those that are on the other side of the chasm, never able to get to God, that God's saying, I've come to you. I've made this happen. It reminded me of the story of Harriet Tubman. You know, Har- Harriet Tubman was a slave, um, uh, and, uh, but she escaped slavery. And, and she, she went into the, to the, um, into the north, into the freed lands. And, you know, I, I'm thinking, if I'm a slave and I get free, I escape, I am not going back. I don't care if it does snow most of the time. I'm going to northern Canada. And I'm staying there. But Harriet Tubman, she went back over and over and over again and rescued over 300 people out of slavery. Two of the people that she lost at the very beginning were, were her brothers. They got scared and they ran back. And she went with them to be sure they got safely back and then took back off again. But I was thinking, you know, if I'm one in slavery and Harriet Tubman comes to me and says, you know, I'm here, I'm going to take you out. Man, I'd be scared. What if she's wrong? What if she's playing a game? You know, what if what if she's actually sort of a double agent of some kind? Or, or does she really know what she's doing? And then what Harriet would do, well, one, she'd show them her back and the scars of the lashes that she'd received as a slave, and she'd tell the stories of the other people that she'd carried out. And, and by showing her her back, She said, this is what I've sacrificed, and I'm coming back for you. Would I come back to you to play a game? To possibly have this happen to me again? I'm all in on this. Are you ready to come out of slavery and to go into freedom? That's the blood of the covenant. The the blood that establishes a covenant that says, I am trustworthy. 
I'm going to do what I've promised to you. And that's just on a human level. Now God is saying, I have sent the blood. I've paid the price. Here are my lashes. Here are my scars. Here's my blood. Come with me out of slavery into freedom. I promise that you will be freed. Come with me. That's the other. That's that part where he's talking about a will. You know how a will, you, you don't, you, you, the will isn't enacted until one dies. That's the point of the covenant. that it, you, The sacrifice of death seals and establishes the faithfulness of the one who is making the covenant. Now, um, then verse 23 through 26 um, continues Continues on and really sort of summarizes again what, that, what, what Christ's sacrifice has done. Thus it was necessary for the sketches of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. Now, so that's, that's the Old Testament. You know, they were purified by the different religious rites and the external things and the blood that was shed on them and, and poured on them and, um, and all the, the different ways that were previously described. But the heavenly things themselves need better sacrifices than these. Again, now, the Holy of Holies before God in the spiritual realm. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made by human hands, a mere copy of the true one, but He entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. So that's the, the, if you look beyond the cross into the spiritual realities, that's what's happening while Jesus is on the cross. Nor was it to offer himself again and again as the high priest enters the holy place year after year with blood that is not his own. For then he would have had to, for him, for then he, Jesus, would have had to suffer again and again since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the age to remove sin by the sacrifice of himself. That's the, that's the atonement. Through him, it's removed, it's gone forever. You can't get it back in Jesus Christ if you wanted to. Because it's destroyed. Because it's done once and for all. I mean, this is the scandal of grace. Yeah? That, it, that it's, it's removed, gone, destroyed. The, the eternal blood of God the Son has poured life and destroyed death. So there's nothing that we can add. I mean, if all has been done, if it's once and for all, then what can you do to add to all? Yeah, we can't. It is what has already been done for us. That's what's accomplished at the cross. Now, but the reason we gather, the reason we pray, the reason we have spiritual disciplines is not to in any way add to what Jesus has already done. It's to help us in our lives, in our brokenness, in this state and time to live into that reality, that spiritual eternal reality. Where we will be forever and where we are even now in the heavenlies. 
Now, we started um, on uh, Wednesday. You know, we, it was Ash Wednesday. A number of us gathered here, and, and we uh, um, uh, started uh, the, the season of Lent, which is that season that the church has set aside for a long time to help prepare us to really understand and to, to celebrate and to live into the, the cross and, and the power of the resurrection. And one of the ways that the church has often done that is to take this season as of a fast. And, and if you have these, these cards, you got them on Wednesday night, maybe, maybe if you weren't here, then you can get them here and uh, now. And, and the idea of a fast during this season is to give up something in order to look up to God. We give up in order to look up. Not in order to gain God's attention, not in order to, to sort of get, gain God's notice, but to say, but to focus our attention on Him. And um, so we, we give something up in order to look up. Um, I in, invite you, if you want to join um, with me. One of the things that I feel called to do during this Lent is to, is to fast for 24 hours, Tuesday night to Wednesday night, from supper to supper. So skip breakfast and lunch on Wednesday. And that's not so that I can sleep in in the morning and then work through lunch um, in the afternoon. But So those times are used otherwise Pray, to be in silence, to read the scriptures, to be with God during those times. It may be for you, this is a season to fast um, from another meal. Or it may be to fast from something else. It may be TV. Uh, and somebody told me that they're, they're turning the radio off whenever they're in their car now. And that's, that's the time to be with God. Uh, somebody said for them, the farthest they could go is to break away from Facebook for two hours. And I'm like, you go and just go one step at a time. You know, whatever it, it, it might be, it's a, a season to do that together. But again, it's not adding to what Jesus has done because Jesus has done it all. It's a way for us to live into that, that fullness and, and to do that together as a church, as a community of people. The, the, all of us as followers of Jesus. You know, one thing to notice in, in this passage, at least with the writer of, of Hebrews, um, is he never uses... Um, you singular. He, he all, he's good southern Hebrew. He, he always uses y'all. Or, or better yet, he uses we, actually. Because Jesus didn't die for a bunch of individuals. He died for a people. Now, granted, the people are made up of individuals, and we all have individual responsibility. But the biblical language is a lot more, especially in this passage, about us. Not about individuals. If you, if you look in uh, chapter 10, um, the, right over, chapter 10, ver, verse 10. And it is by God's will that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. You see the we? I mean, it's we, we together. And look at this. Look at this also. Not just notice the we, but, but notice the verb, have been. It's not something that we're going to be. I mean, here, as we look at it through the lens of what Jesus has accomplished, we, if we're in Jesus Christ, we have been, as a people, we have been sanctified already. We've already been made holy by Jesus. We've, we've already done, he's done everything, all that, that is necessary for now us to be set apart for his service. You know, to be sent out. So we are, not that we're going to be sanctified, but in Jesus we already are. And so the, the fasting and the disciplines are to live into that truth, that eternal reality. 
Verse 14. For by a simple offering, he has not just sanctified, but perfected for all those who are sanctified. He's perfected for all time those who are sanctified. By his simple offering. So not only sanctified, but perfected. Through the eyes of Jesus, we are who He's created us to be and who He will make us be. Now granted, in our own lives, we still live into that day when we're glorified and we see Him face to feet, face to face. Maybe we'll see Him face to feet. Yeah, <laughs> it does work, yeah. Uh, but we... But, And that day we're perfected. But in Jesus, in the cross, this perfection has already happened for us. And so the the disciplines and the things that we do is we live into these together. And and as a church, as a church, we are at at a, a crucial time of saying, all right, how do we live into who you've called us to be? You've called us to be your people. And we know, and this is another thing about the cross, and and this is maybe one of the great sins of American Christianity, is we've over-individualized the cross, and and that's led, among other things, to the segregated church that we're in today, and what we seek to pursue as being a multicultural church across every division that humanity's ever formed, that Jesus unites us on, At the cross. This is not an add-on to the gospel. And we'll go into that a lot more deeper in a couple weeks. But it is at the cross. It is through his blood that all is done to make us one in Jesus. So it's not added on. And so that... that, All right, I'm preaching another sermon now. Okay. (laughs) So, where was I in this sermon? So we, we, we want to live into what he has done uh, for us. Where are my notes? You're, you're welcome. I caught myself. That this has been made real for us as a people to be perfected in him. So what does this mean? What what does this this mean then for us? What is the therefore? This is now how we act because this is true. Well, verse 19. Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, and by sanctuary doesn't mean this room, he means the very presence of God. Since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, with our bodies washed with pure water. We now approach the very throne of God with confidence because in the blood of Jesus we have been sanctified and perfected. We as a people come before God boldly in full confidence and assurance because of all that Jesus has done in and through us. 
So we, we, we join in this fast together because we want to live into that fullness. We know that we're now at a crucial time in our life as a people. And, and we want to live this out. And it's not lived out very well. It's not lived out very well in the world around. And we want to do it. And it's not going to happen because we do anything. It's not going to happen because we're smart enough or strategic enough or spiritual enough or anything enough. It's only going to happen as we gather before Jesus at the cross with full assurance and and boldness before him and say, we're ready for what you have sanctified us and perfected us to do so that you might be glorified. That's why we gather. That's why we take up this season of fasting to say, God, we're ready to hear your call to be sent for your purposes. Do you see yourself as perfected and sanctified? Sort of sends shivers through me, bad ones. I was like, whoa, (laughs) I don't know if I even like that language about me. I mean, I know me. And those aren't words I would use to describe me. Maybe you have the same feeling. But isn't that the power of Jesus' blood? That in Him, He can take people like us and in His power bring us together with God the Father, sanctified and perfected. That is the power of the cross. Amen.